You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. It's, it's a joy to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, my name is Brett Patterson, and I'm on staff here as the pastor of discipleship. And this morning, uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be opening up to the book of Ephesians. So if you don't have a Bible with you this, this morning, I'd encourage you to get your hand up nice and high. Uh, we've got our ushers. They are coming down the rows right now. They'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. And if you don't have God's Word in your hand, you're probably going to be a little lost because we're going to work through a passage there and there's some things that we need to see. Um, Also, though, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this as our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hands, in your home, so that you can read it and delight in it and grow from it. And so this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and the title of this morning's message is Treasuring the Immeasurable Riches of Grace. Treasuring the immeasurable riches of grace, and really, we're going to jump right into it here in just a minute, Um, but I have really three goals for this message this morning, three goals for our message today. Um, These goals are not anything that I can bring about at all, whatsoever. I recognize my own insufficiency in all of them, and so I'm just going to state these three goals, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to do what only He can do, and so really... Uh, The three goals this morning, the first goal is is that you would see more clearly God's love and grace than you've ever seen it before, and that you would come to delight in all that Jesus Christ is for us. I pray that really would happen here this morning. Second, Second, I pray this morning that the Lord would take dead hearts, spiritually dead hearts, and that he would awaken them by his grace to the reality of his glory and all that he is in Jesus Christ, and that that would happen through repentance and faith here in this place this morning. And then third, third, I'm praying this, that the glorious doctrines of salvation by grace alone through faith alone would be exalted, and that Jesus Christ, that he alone would get all the glory this morning. And so right now, Right now, I recognize that I can't do any of these things, completely powerless to do any of them. None of us can do these things in and of ourselves. And so right now, would you just bow your head with me in your seat? I'm going to bow my knee up here because it's right to get low before the Lord. I get that you can't kneel down there, but just bow your head, bow your heart before the Lord and pray along with me that the Lord would work in power this morning. Father, we come this morning before you, Lord, giving glory to you, praising you, exalting you, Lord. Um, Lord, we thank you for the songs that were just sung, the worship that just happened in this place. Lord, we thank you for how the gospel was already proclaimed um, through each song that was sung this morning, Lord. And Lord, we pray that as we open your word, that that same gospel would be proclaimed loudly and clearly, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would speak, Lord that you would speak to every single heart and every single soul and every single mind that's gathered in this place today, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would raise up lives this morning, Lord. Lord, we, we all come in here, Lord, needing to hear from you. And Lord, we long for you to speak to us. And so, Lord, would you exalt your name this morning, Lord? Would you show us yourself this morning? Would you exalt, Lord, the truth of your word this morning? And Lord, would you exalt your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Lord, lead us in these things. Amen. 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 So this morning, church, we're going to dig into Ephesians chapter 2, and we're really going to focus on verses 8 through 10 this morning. 
But in a moment, I'm going to read all the way from verse 1 down through 10. I think it's important for us to really get the context of what's being said. Um, You know, we say this often, you don't just open the Bible and pick a random verse somewhere. You need to know what's around it. And so we want to see the context around this passage this morning. Um, But really, this morning's message is really pretty simple. It's a message that is all about two things, grace and faith. And so right now, uh, hands up if you've been in church and you've heard a message about grace or faith before. Okay, hands Surprise, all of you, okay, almost, all right, okay. So we've heard this before, haven't we? We've heard a message on grace and faith before. And listen, I realize this, and I think that we should all realize this, that when we've heard a message about a subject many times, our our ears, our spiritual ears can become spiritually clogged, can't they? We're like, man, I've heard that before. Okay, I've heard that before. I'm tuning out. Okay, don't do that this morning. Don't do that this morning. This morning, I'm praying what we said right up front, that every heart in this place would be awakened and revived to the glory of the grace of God, that we would exalt in his grace, that we would rejoice in it, that we would treasure it, and that we would say, yes, Lord, thank you for your grace, and that it would become the centerpiece of our lives and our conversation. And so if you know the grace of God, this morning's a morning of worship for you just to delight in that grace, to rejoice in that grace, and to rejoice in the God who shows us grace But this morning, if you've heard of the grace of God before and you've not turned, you've not repented of your sins and turned in faith to Jesus Christ, this morning is a morning of turning. This morning is a morning of listening carefully. This morning is a morning of allowing the Lord to search your heart and soul this morning. And then by his grace, turning to him in repentance and faith and believing in Jesus Christ for your salvation. This morning, I'm praying that the Lord would do this in each of us. And so let's read the passage together from Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 all the way through verse 10, and then we'll focus in on verses 8 through 10 in a few moments. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise God for his word that is so clear for us this morning. Listen, this morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give us a little summary of the entire message. It's going to come up on the screen in just a second. I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, please write it down. This is really the whole message right here in a nutshell. And all that we're going to do beyond this is unpack it and apply it to our lives. And so here is the whole message right here. To treasure the immeasurable riches of God's grace 
I must continually rejoice in the fact that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. Listen, there are three really big things in that little sentence right there. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone. And so this morning, all that we're going to do is we're going to dig into this text right here. We're going to dig into it, and we're going to pull what is being said through the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. We're going to pull out the things that relate to this, and we're going to see how they apply to our lives. And we are going to understand, I pray, in a little bit more clarity, what God has done to save us through Jesus Christ. That's an awesome reality. So let's dig into it together. Let's dig into this. Here's the first point. Surprise, surprise. Number one, I am saved by grace alone. Listen. Salvation is by grace alone. It's by God's goodness, by his kindness, by his mercy and his grace alone. And you've heard that before. Uh, We could do a show of hands to see how many people have heard that before, but I'm going to guess that almost all of us have heard that before, probably several times. Many of us have probably heard that ever since we were a child. But maybe we could come in here this morning and we could still wonder what exactly is grace? What is grace? What is grace anyway? You know, our culture uses the word grace in kind of strange ways. Um, We often use grace as, well, I'll show you grace, uh, meaning that I won't necessarily be vindictive towards you when I maybe didn't even have a right to do so. And our culture has maybe distorted the word grace, and so let's get down to a bit more of a biblical understanding of what grace is. Now, many of us have probably heard grace described as a free gift, Okay, have you heard grace described as a free gift before? Hands up for that, okay? Some of us, you guys are, you guys are more awake than the first service. This is good, okay? That's, that's all right. I always appreciate that. All right, so we've heard grace described as a free gift, and that is a good and right explanation of grace. Grace is, be sure, it is a free gift. Now, here's the only problem with that explanation. It maybe doesn't quite go far enough. Because even with a free gift, we can sometimes, in our own sinfulness, think that we are maybe entitled to that free gift a little bit. Um, And parents in the room, think about this. Okay, moms especially. When it's Christmas time, do you maybe feel a little bit entitled to get a good gift from your kids? I'm just asking. Moms, okay, you know, the thought could run through your head, hey, I went through a lot to bring you into this world. I should at least get something decent for Christmas, okay? Right, dads, sure, for sure. Dads, work hard, parent the family, all of those things. Maybe you could feel a little entitled to get a, a free gift from your child. Now, if you have younger kids, you know that gifts aren't always free because you give them the money to get the gift, right? Um, The only good thing about younger kids and gifts is that you normally get to choose what you get, and that's kind of neat, right? Um, But listen, we can start to think that, that somehow, if grace is a free gift, that I am somehow, in some way, entitled to it. That's wrong. That's completely wrong. We are by in no way entitled to, gra- uh, to grace, to God's free gift. So let's add to this definition a little bit. Um, grace, be sure, is a free gift. But grace is really, in the Bible, it's the word uh, cheris. Not cherish, cheris. And the word cheris in the Greek really means unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor that is freely bestowed by God on people who are completely undeserving. Wow, 
It's unmerited favor. It's a free gift that is not merited by anything that we have done or anything that we could do. I love how A.T. Pearson describes this. A.T. Pearson was a pastor who ministered alongside Charles Spurgeon in his church during a time of sickness when Spurgeon was unable to preach and lead. And A.T. Pearson um, defined grace this way. He said, grace is a voluntary exercise of love for which he, referring to God, is under no obligation. Think about that for a moment. God is not obligated to show us grace. God didn't need to show us grace. God, in and of his own goodness, shows us grace. That just tells us a lot about the character of God, doesn't it? Pearson goes on to say this, what constitutes the glory of grace is that it is an utterly unfettered, unconstrained exercise of the love of God towards poor sinners. Wow, we need to get that this morning. That God's grace is not anything that is merited, that it's not anything that he is obligated to give us, it's because of his great love towards us and because God is love and because of his tremendous love towards poor sinners like ourselves. Think about it for a second. Think about Romans chapter five, verse eight. Think about that amazing verse. What does it say? But God shows his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, let's clean out those spiritual ears again. The word sinners, if you've grown up in church or if you've been around church very long, can mean a lot of things to you. But chances are you don't think of it with the full biblical definition that's behind it. The word sinner there really refers to a person, which is all people, who are living in active rebellion against the holy God. As R.C. Sproul says it, each one of us, before Jesus Christ, lives committing cosmic treason against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. Now think of Romans 5 verse 8 with that definition. For God shows his love towards us in that while we were active rebels rebelling against the King of the universe, committing cosmic treason against the King of kings and Lord of lords, he showed his love towards us. Wow. That's grace. That's grace. That's God's grace. We don't deserve it in any way, um, by any stretch. Here's a few things that we should remember about grace, just real quick right here. A grace, God's grace is given to me when I am completely unworthy. His grace is given to me, it's given to you when each one of us is completely unworthy. We see that right back in verse one. You can look back there for a moment. What does verse one say? Verse one tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now that's not speaking of physical death, that's speaking of spiritual death. Verse one, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen, if you want to experience grace in your life, the first thing that you need to come to terms with is that apart from Jesus Christ, you and I are completely dead, spiritually dead. We are lifeless apart from him. Now we're not weak, okay? Yes, to a certain degree. We're not Sick is not what it says in this passage. Yes, we are sick because of sin, but listen, how does the passage, verse one, define our spiritual state before Jesus Christ? What does it say that we are? Dead, dead. That's pretty significant language, okay? Dead um, doesn't describe a lot of responding in that moment. So notice what God's grace does. God's grace 
brings life. This is amazing. This is awesome. Now look at this, okay? God's grace comes to us when we are unworthy. Um, God's grace is also always unmerited. We need to get that, okay? It comes to us when we're unworthy and it's unmerited. We don't do anything to deserve it and we don't do anything to pay God back. We've got to get that. Oh, we've got to get that. We can miss this so easily. It's so easy to think that Jesus, when I come to Jesus, he gives me a second chance on life. That's wrong. Push that notion out of your head. While there is some truth in it, it's not the whole truth. We don't come to Jesus Christ and get a second chance to then move forward in our own moral effort trying to be better people. We come to Jesus Christ dead, spiritually dead, and then we move forward in his grace through faith, and we're gonna unpack that in just a second, but think about it. Every single step of faith in Jesus Christ, of moving forward for Jesus Christ, is a step that he gives us the grace and strength to take. He takes our dead spiritual legs and he puts life into them. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome, church? Wow. This is why I say we need to treasure grace, because grace gives us life. Grace ordains everything in our lives. Praise God for his amazing grace towards us. And notice this in verse five. God's grace brings life to dead souls. God's grace brings life to dead souls. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How awesome is that? That's incredible that the Lord brings us to life. Now notice this though in verses six and seven. This is where the treasure of immeasurable grace comes in right here, verse six and seven. Um, God's grace secures our place in heaven. I want you to see it in these verses. God's grace secures our place in heaven, verses six and seven. Uh, Speaking of that, it says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if he's Lord over your life, your place in heaven is secured by him. It's not secured by your good behavior from here on out. It's not secured um, because you signed a card one day. It's not secured because you made a profession at summer camp. It is secured because of his grace and on the basis of your faith and trust in him. That's awesome. It is secure. Philippians 1 verse 6, what does it say? He who started the good work in you will carry it on till the day of completion. That's awesome. When is that? Completion's not this week, next week, Lord willing, maybe. It's in glory with Jesus. It's when we're with him in heaven. That's the day of completion. And what he is saying to each one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior is, I am the initiator of your faith. I'm the starter of your faith. I'm the one who's shown you grace. And I will carry that grace on to the day of completion, to the praise of his name. That's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. God's grace comes to us when we're unworthy. It's always unmerited. It gives life to dead souls and it secures our place in heaven. Listen, we did nothing to deserve God's grace. Each one of us in this place have done nothing, nothing whatsoever to deserve God's grace. No matter how good of a moral person you have been, you have not done anything to deserve God's grace. The Bible is very clear on this point. Everyone has sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. One sin 
against a perfectly holy God is enough to make us worthy of eternal separation from him. And so even if we live a pretty good moral life and, you know, by world standards, we're a pretty good person. And when we look out at our coworkers, you know, we've got this list of things that we don't do and the things that we do. And compared to a bunch of other people that are out there in the world, we look pretty good. Even if we do that, the Bible has a different account. One sin against a holy God is enough to be separated for all of eternity. I don't think there'd be one person in this room that would put their hand up and say, I've never sinned in my entire life. I've never done anything, thought anything, um, even attempted anything contrary to who God is. I don't think there'd be one person that would ever say that. The, the reality is, is that we, we don't need a lot of convincing to realize that we are sinners. We don't need that convincing. But we do need convincing to realize that we cannot bridge the gap between ourselves and a holy God on our own. But that's the truth of God's word. That the only way to bridge that gap is not something that we do. It is the grace of God that bridges that gap for us. Praise God. Listen, listen, I love that salvation is by grace. I love it. I love it. Not because it makes me free to sin. Not at all. But because if it wasn't by grace, I guarantee that I would screw it up. I just guarantee it. I just know my life. I, just, I look back at my past track, track record as a believer. And I know that if salvation wasn't by God's grace, if it wasn't him working in my life to bring about a good result, that I would just screw it up for sure. Anyone else feel that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Praise God that our salvation is through, through grace. Praise God for that. So thankful for that today. I pray that you are thankful for that today. I want you to press your mind down on this just for a moment though, before we move on. I want you to really take this seriously. The Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I recognize that that might offend some of you this morning. I'm not going to apologize for that because that's what the Word of God says. I pray that you would look past your offense of being offended. I, before Jesus Christ, including myself in this, was dead in trespasses and sins. I'm not judging you this morning. We're not judging you this morning. We're saying this is the reality of our souls apart from Jesus Christ. Each one of us is dead in trespasses and sins. But then listen, we are giving you the message of the gospel, which is grace and life in Jesus Christ. Would you listen? Please look past the offense of your own pride and listen to the message this morning that proclaims life in Jesus Christ. I want you to think hard about this for a moment this morning. I think it's really worth thinking about for each one of us. If we were truly dead in our sins, apart from Jesus Christ, if we were truly dead, as the Bible says, if that's true, then what could we do to merit his grace? Nothing. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, what act could be more one-sidedly free and non-negotiated than one person raising another person from the dead? This is the meaning of grace. Let me just try to illustrate this before we move on. A quick little Bible, Bible quiz here, okay, Bible quiz. Um, who remembers the story of the raising of Lazarus? All the Harvest kids, they, they go up quick. That's great. Good work, guys. Okay. Um, who can tell me where it's found? John? Good, good. 11. Okay, good. I, I, maybe, I heard 11 last service, so we'll go with that. 11. It's John 11. That's great. It's a great, a great story for us to go back and read. Um, there are a ton of amazing truths packed into this story, but let's just work this story for a second because I believe that this story is in the Bible 
not just to prove Jesus' power over physical death, it's there for that, for sure, but it is also a parallel to what God does in the life of a dead sinner to raise them to spiritual life. In John 11, um, Jesus, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus, knowing that he's been dead for several days. Okay, how many days was he dead? Four, somebody got it, okay, it was four, it was four, that's right, it was four. I thought it was three, and then I looked, it's four, okay? He was dead four days, and maybe this is lost on us today because of like the whole embalming process, which is kind of gross, okay? But, but after four days in Bible times, you would not be smelling good, okay? You would really stink, okay? You would definitely, yeah, you would definitely stink. Um, so much so that when the disciples and Jesus went to the tomb, Jesus told the disciples to roll back the stone and they said, but Lord, he stinks. Now my kids think that's really, really funny. And whenever one of them kind of smells a little bit, they'll say, Lord, he stinks. And, and they think that's hilarious. And it is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> But aside, aside, all right? And so the disciples are there with Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus tells the disciples, he tells them first of all, he says, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? Roll back the stone. Then the conversation about stinking, okay? Um, that, and then the, the stone is rolled back and what does Jesus do to raise Lazarus from the tomb? Does he go in, perform CPR, hook up life support? No. Jesus does this incredible thing. He prays and he thanks God for what is about to happen. And he, he mentions that it is so that the people would believe in his prayer. And then Jesus says these incredible words, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus rises up from the dead and he comes out of the tomb alive. That is incredible. That's incredible. Lazarus did not negotiate with Jesus. Okay, he, there was no negotiation happening there at all. Um, Lazarus didn't say anything. He just came out of the tomb. Now, I love what John Piper says about this. He says, Lazarus didn't need anyone to infer that he had life. He walked out into the light of day. Listen, when God revives our soul and he brings life to us, we don't need anyone to tell us that we have life. We know that we have life because we're alive. We're spiritually alive to him. And that is the work of God's goodness. That is the work of God's grace. But listen, church, that work comes in a very, very specific way. And we see it right here in our text. That we are saved by grace alone. And then the next thing that we see is that we are saved through faith alone. Here's point number two in our message this morning. Point number two, I am saved through faith alone. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved through faith alone. I remember way back in high school English, I think it was, um, when our, my English teacher said, you know, uh, prepositions are really important. I didn't understand what that meant at the time. And then I remember sitting in my Bible college in uh, a Greek class and uh, the teacher said, prepositions are really important. And I really didn't get what they were saying at all. And then all of a sudden I discovered it. Yep, prepositions are important, okay? They're important. Don't get these mixed up, okay? Don't say, okay, don't say that we are saved through grace by faith. That's not what the Bible says, okay? Look down for a second. Look at the verse again. We are saved by grace through faith through faith. Okay, listen, 
It's by grace. Grace is what is responsible for our salvation, but it comes through a very specific means. That means is faith. Now, grace is the free, unmerited gift of God. It is, um, what did we say? Unmerited favor towards us. Now, if that's true, what is faith? Well, faith, be sure, is a response. It's a response to the living God. And it is a response that is a response of trust. It is a response of belief. And it is a response that really that really has two parts to it. Almost think of a coin. When you think of a coin, it has two sides, right? Okay, think of the one side of the coin of faith is being repentance and the other side of the coin being faith and trust in God, okay? And so to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we must, we must repent of our sin. We must turn from it. To repent means to change your mind and then your heart changes, and then your direction changes. You turn away. Literally, if you are heading in the direction of sin and the world and everything, you turn away from it, and as you turn, you then move forward in faith, trusting the living God. Listen, a good definition of faith uh, is given um, in many places. Many places we can find a description of faith in the Bible, but a great definition of faith is really given in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 1, Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, now, the, now faith, let me get this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is not trusting in yourself. Let's just backtrack for a second and let's, before we nail down the definition of what faith is, let's nail down a definition of what faith is not. Here's a few things that true faith is not, okay? These are, these are things that won't save you. We are saved by grace through faith, but these are things that are imposters. They're things that try to look like faith, but they're really not faith at all necessarily. They can be done by the power of the flesh. These are things that won't save you. So here's a few things. First of all, um, faith is not being born into a Christian family. That's an incredible blessing. That's an incredible gift of God. That's a, a, a sign of God's goodness and mercy towards you. But being born into a Christian home does not make you more saved. I remember when I was a kid, one preacher came to our church and said that um, being born in a Christian home uh, doesn't make you any more saved than being born in a car lot makes you a car. I thought, that's really weird. That's strange. I don't know how you came up with that, but I think you're right. I'm not a car. Right. Being born into a Christian home does not make you a Christian. It is not faith. Okay? But here's another thing that faith is not. Faith is not mere agreement to a set of facts. Faith is not just reading the Bible and breaking down the facts about who Jesus is and what he said and saying, okay, I'll agree with that. Um, and, and calling that faith, that's not faith. That is maybe a step in the right direction towards faith, but that is not faith in itself. Um, faith is not just having good theology. It's important to have good theology, we should all aspire to have good theology because we want to believe and trust things that are true about God, right? But faith is not simply having good theology. It is possible to have good theology and, and not be saved and not have faith. Listen, James tells us very clearly that the demons, that the demons know that God exists and they shudder. That's not faith though, is it? right? If, if they, they know that God exists, they know that he is one and they shudder, but they don't have true faith. And that is just, 
they know certain things about God and yet are not obviously saved. Here's another thing that faith is not. Faith is not self-effort. It's not self-effort. It's not trying to clean yourself up um, to live a better moral life. There's nothing wrong with that unless you're trusting in that. There's nothing wrong with that unless you are using that as your means for right standing by God. Hey, wouldn't it be great if the whole world, to a certain degree, started to love one another more? Absolutely. But if we begin to trust in that as our moral standing, our our righteousness before God, it's empty, it's bankrupt, completely bankrupt. So listen, don't trust in any self-effort. Don't trust in what you can do. Don't trust in it in the least. We should strive. We should strive to be upstanding citizens. We should strive to care for everyone in our society. We should strive for all of those things, but don't trust in that in the least. It's empty. Listen, faith is not law-keeping. Faith is not church attendance. Faith is not walking down an aisle and making a profession. That could be motivated by faith, but that in itself is not faith. Faith is not card signing. Faith is not giving money to a church or necessarily to a charity. Now that can be done in faith. Don't mishear me on these things. All of these things can be done in faith and are right things to be done, but they are not faith in and of themselves. We need to get that. We need to realize that. We need to realize that faith is not a flippant, fear-based decision that is made to keep us from going to hell. How many professions do we see today that at the heart of the profession of faith in Christ is just a desire to have a get-out-of-hell-free card so that that person can continue to live like the devil? That's not faith. That's not saving anyone. There are a lot of churches out there today that teach that that is faith, I'm going to tell you this morning, that is not faith. That is misleading an entire generation. That is sending a lot of people to a lost eternity, separated from the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus Christ, because somebody told them that the Bible said something that it doesn't say. Don't buy into that lie. It's a lie. Listen, faith is so much more than all of these things. And if we truly embrace Jesus Christ through faith, our lives will begin to change. Faith is trusting God. Saving faith is, it's not this passive or partial reliance on Jesus Christ, but a true reliance that is active and growing every single day. Listen, the proof of saving faith is not that we once recited a prayer or made a decision, but that we turn, truly turn from the heart and that we believe the gospel, that we repent of our sin, which includes that we believe all the claims that Jesus makes about himself and all the claims that Jesus makes of lordship over our lives, that he is Lord and master. Now, I'm not preaching this morning saying that this becomes perfect the instant that you put faith in Jesus Christ. Please don't hear me saying that because I'm not saying that. Listen, my sanctification, I'm just going to go on on the record as saying this. My sanctification is not happening as fast as I want it to. I am incredibly discontent at this point in my life with my own sanctification. But it's happening. And it's not happening by self-effort. It's happening by the grace of God. Because if it was happening by self-effort, man, I'd be a lot further ahead than what I am right now. But God is breaking me, God is changing me, God is shaping me, God is molding me, as imperfect as it is. But listen, it will be complete one day because Jesus Christ says so. And listen, 
The same God who extended grace to me to save my soul is the same God who will extend grace to me every step of the way all the way to eternity where that grace takes shape and results in glory for him for all of the ages to come. And that's an awesome thing. Brothers, sisters, believe that this morning. Trust that the Lord is at work in your life if you know him, that his grace is sustaining you and that faith, your faith in him through his grace will lead you to glory. Listen, we've explained what faith is not. Let's take a second and define what faith is. Ultimately, ultimately faith is trusting God through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, faith is trusting God through Jesus Christ. It is putting your whole entire trust in him, all of it. It is turning to complete and utter dependence on God for what we are totally unable to do. I love what Leon Morris says about faith. He says that faith is a thing that takes men completely out of themselves and forces them to trust in the Lord alone. It, it, it's, it's a thing, it's a response of the heart. Be sure of that, faith is a response. It's a response of the heart that takes you completely out of trusting yourself or anyone else or anything that this world has to offer so that you will then come to trust in the living God with everything that you have for all of eternity. That's faith, that's faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, we already mentioned this, says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Notice, it's the assurance. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It is the confidence of things hoped for. Well, what things is it talking about? That Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us and that place is called glory and he will come again. He will receive us to himself and the work that he has started in our lives will be complete when he does that. Amen. Amen. And we look forward to that day. And we look forward to it in faith. But be sure of this. Be sure of this. That it is impossible for us to truly embrace the gospel and not be radically changed by it over the course of our lives. Anyone who would bring a profession of faith and say, yeah, I have faith in in Christ, but I've not changed in the least. I am still all about these things. Is lying. They're lying. And you know what the saddest part about that is? is that the person that they're probably lying to the most is themselves. It is possible to be self-deceived. It is possible to be so tangled up in the things of the world that you believe that you have faith when maybe you don't. Oh God, would you convict us of that this morning? Oh God, would you, in your mercy this morning, break down every false profession in this place? Lord, oh Lord, would you open hearts and change them, Lord, by your glory this morning? Oh God, only you can do it. Would you do it in us, Lord? Lord, We pray that you would lead us closer to yourself this morning. Amen. I love what John Calvin says about faith. He says this about faith. As often as we mention faith alone, we're not thinking of dead faith. As much as we talk about faith alone, we're not thinking of dead faith, which works not by love, but holding faith to be the only cause of justification. We agree with that. It's the only way that we are justified before a holy God. It is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone, just as the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, and yet in the sun it is not alone because it is constantly conjoined with light. Think about Calvin's illustration for a second. Think about his illustration of the heat and the warmth from the sun. It always comes with light, doesn't it? Is it it hot on cloudy days? 
Well, it might be humid here in Ontario in the summer, but it's generally not hot. You're not feeling the heat of the sun. Just a, just a week ago, we were down in Florida, and, and um, it, was, it was great. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Um, and uh, we were down there in Florida, and, and we had one nice sunny day. Praise God for that. We had some other nice days, but we had one day, it was 25, and I'm sorry I'm making you all jealous right now. Don't covet, okay? Um, and, and it was 25, and the sun was shining down us, on us as we were walking down the beach, and I was thinking kind of about this quote a little bit, and I was thinking about, wow, what a miracle it is that the sun shines and warms and brings life, and it feels so good when you're coming from this in Canada. Um, and as, as we're walking along, I'm thinking, wow, the heat from the sun always comes with the light of the sun. Wow. Genuine faith always brings with it a desire to glorify God and exalt Him through our lives. It always does. There aren't exceptions. If life continues, it always brings with it a desire to magnify Jesus Christ and make much of His name and to glorify Him. Listen, this morning, be sure of this. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ excludes all boasting. Do you see that in the text? Do you see that right in the verse here? Do you see that in Jesus Christ, if we have genuine faith in him, we cannot boast. We cannot boast in ourselves. We cannot boast in the things that we do. We can't boast in any of it. Why? Because faith is a result of God's grace, which is a gift. Isn't that incredible? Remember, the word grace means, what does it mean? Ah, there we go, unmerited favor. You guys were listening. That's good, okay? Unmerited favor. Yes, it's unmerited favor. Now, I want you to notice something very important and particular in this text, and I don't want us to get too bogged down on it, but I want you to look down at verse 8 for a second right here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, we got that. We know what grace is, we know what faith is, and we know what faith isn't. Notice this. And this is not your own doing. And this is not your own doing. Maybe underline that little phrase in your Bible for a moment. Just underline it there so you won't forget it. That little phrase is so important. And this is not your own doing. Most of us probably would agree that grace is not our own doing. We really can't give ourselves a free gift, can we? No, okay? We get that. We agree with that. Now, quick test before we jump into it here. How many people in this place this morning believe that every word in the Bible is inspired by God? Put your hand up. Okay, good, good. How many people in this place uh, this morning believe that the Lord chooses his words very carefully? Hands up. Okay. All right. How many people in this place this morning would like to charge the Holy Spirit with being redundant? No hands up. Good, good. We're on, we're on the same page. We're in a good place to understand this then. All right, let's look at it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Well, we already know that grace is the gift of God, right? That's what the word means. Okay, but notice this. And this is not of yourselves. That little word right there, this. This. That word in the Greek construction of the sentence actually refers to the two things that come before it, not just the one. It refers to both of the things that come before it and actually, if you really break it down, refers most to the one that is closest. Okay, let's backtrack. Let's look at it. Okay, this is hard to understand, okay? Let's put our thinking caps on. Let's get this, okay? For by grace you have been saved through faith. All right, which word is closer to the word this? Is it grace or is it faith? Faith. 
And so this phrase refers mostly to the faith as not being of ourselves. And then notice what it says. But it's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Grace is a gift of God. Be sure of that. Grace is an incredible gift of God. But listen, faith is an incredible gift of God also. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us very clearly that no one of us is the author of our own faith. It says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our own faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the author of it as well. Think about it for a second. If we go back in the text and if we realize that we are dead in trespasses and sins, how could we initiate faith apart from God's grace moving in our lives? That's massive. Listen, this text excludes all boasting from anybody. It excludes boasting in yourself. It excludes boasting in anything that you bring to the table. It excludes boasting in any, even any decision that you made. Now, now hear me, hear me. Faith is a response. It is a genuine response that comes from a per- person. Can someone else have faith for me? No, absolutely not. I must respond to the living God, but at the same time, this is God's mercy. It is God's gift towards us. Listen, how do these two things fit together? How does God's grace in salvation and how does human responsibility fit together? You want me to solve it for you right now? Yeah? You want me to solve it? You ready? Okay, here it is. One word. Mystery. It's a mystery. It's an incredible mystery of how God's work in our lives combines with with our belief and trust in Jesus Christ that is even initiated by him so that we will believe in him and it will result to the praise of his glory. It's a beautiful mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Amen. Listen, church, we should be good with having some mystery in our faith. Why? Because God is God, and we are human. We should be thankful for that. Listen, I want us to get this as we come to the end of the message this morning. Grace is a gift of God. Faith is also a gift of God. It is a response, be sure, but it's also a gift of God's grace. And then this this morning. The last thing that we need to see in this message today, the last thing that we need to see, that we are saved by grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. We are saved for the glory of God alone. That's the purpose of salvation. We are saved so that God and his name will be made much of. We are saved so that God will get the glory, that he will get the credit, that he will get the praise, and so we will not. That is why we are saved. Now listen, it's very easy for us to get this mixed up a little bit. It's easy for us to somehow begin to think that salvation is really all about us. Anyone guilty of that? I have been many times in my life where I have thought that I am the center of salvation and I've actually then excluded the God who salvation is really all about. Listen, salvation is us being caught up into God's glorious plan for all of creation. And it's not us becoming the center of that plan, but it's about him becoming the center of that plan and us rejoicing in him as he is at the center. Listen, salvation, salvation is so that God would get the glory. God designed it so that he would get the glory. It is by grace through faith, which takes us right out of ourselves and gives glory to God alone. Listen, We don't want to get this wrong. We don't want to think that we are at the center of salvation. 
We don't want to think that. We want to see God at the center of salvation. We want to remember that God saved us so that he would be made much of. Listen, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that God saved people, Israel, individuals for the glory of his name. Now you might, right now, that that might be a hard thing to hear. Right now you might be like, I'm not sure about that, okay? I'm gonna give you three references real quick, okay? They're not up on the screen, okay? So don't look up there, you'll have to write them down. So we gotta listen, okay? Three references that show us this clearly. I'll read you the passages, but here's the first one that says that salvation is for the glory of God's name. Right here, Isaiah 43, verse 25. I am he, speaking of God, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Psalm 25, verse 11. For your own namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And then the last one, the last one, if you just turn back a little bit to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, right there in that passage, Paul goes to great lengths to explain that the entire process of salvation is for the praise of the glory of God. Listen, God is worthy of the glory. Nobody wants to argue with that. He's worthy of the glory. He's worthy of all the glory. He's worthy of getting the glory of our entire salvation, every bit of it. Our salvation from the day of justification all the way to glory. And if we believe that, then we need to start to make sense of what it really means to live the Christian life. I want you to look down to verse 10. Verse 10 right now, because Paul transitions from this passage right here in verse nine into some very specifics for the Christian life, and he says this right here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. You've been born again to a living hope. You've become a child of God through faith in him, all through his grace. But listen, your salvation and my salvation is going somewhere. Salvation is not a ticket in your hand that you put in your pocket that says go to heaven, that you pull out on the final day and hand to the Lord. Salvation is the process from the day that you are born again all the way to glory. It is a process all the way along where we are growing in faith. We're learning to trust God and we are learning what it means to live for his glory and to delight in him. And listen, as we approach this text, we begin to wonder a little bit, okay, salvation is by grace through faith Well then, what part do works have in it? Well listen, this text rules out all works as being part of what actually saves us. But then as soon as it's done ruling that out, it points right back to works and it says that they will will be there in the life of a believer because that's the purpose to which we have been saved. Notice that, that we have been saved to the glory of God's name. We have been saved because of God's grace through our response of faith And all of this is so that we would walk in the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're here today, I want you to know very specifically that God has prepared intentional good works for you to do in your life. He's prepared them for you. It says that he's prepared them beforehand. That means before the creation of the world, before any of this came into being, God has prepared the works that he wants you to walk in, that he wants you to live out. Those works in no way add to your salvation. Let's be super clear here. 
Those are not the basis for your salvation. They don't add to your salvation. They don't make you savable. Those are things that God in His grace and goodness towards you has prepared for you so that you would walk in them, so that you would bring glory to His name. And guess what? You're like, well, what do I get out of it? Listen, you get a lot out of it. You get all of the joy of bringing glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is your heavenly Father. You get all the blessings of of God in Jesus Christ. That's what you get out of it. That's awesome. And for all of the ages... And for all of the ages, you get to sing his praise and delight in his presence. Isn't that awesome? Listen, the greatest gift that we'll ever receive in all of eternity is Jesus Christ himself. It's Jesus Christ himself. To be in his presence, to delight in him, to treasure his grace, to make much of it forever and ever. And listen, when we get a hold of this in our lives, when we really begin to believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone, that I am not the center of it, but God is, when we really start to believe that, things begin to change in our lives. We begin to delight in God's immeasurable riches of grace, and we begin to be humbled that God would be so kind to save us. Just think about God's kindness to save you. I've been thinking a lot lately about God's kindness to save me. I've not done anything worthy of salvation whatsoever. God has been incredibly kind to show me mercy. All that he was obligated to show me was judgment, but he didn't. He showed me mercy. We become humbled at that fact that he'd be that kind to us, and we begin to worship Jesus Christ with a new fullness of zeal and passion. We become zealous for good works, not to make much of our name, but to make much of the God who redeemed us and saved us. We begin to pray with a new enthusiasm because we realize that everything is riding on God and that he is worthy of all the credit. And we begin to share our faith with a greater urgency. Our conversation is a lot less about maybe weather and sports and those things and is a lot more centered on the grace of God and the goodness of God to show us mercy. And we begin to turn away from sin because we found something so much better in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, these are the effects of grace in the life of a believer. And we delight in Jesus Christ and we long and long for that day when faith will become sight and when that future grace that is stored up for us right now, when that is delighted in and experienced for all of the coming ages and when the future grace that is not yet a present reality becomes the present reality where we dwell in the presence of Jesus Christ. We long for that and we delight in that day and we look forward to it. Listen, this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, treasure grace, treasure grace. Don't lose sight of it. Don't forget it. Don't think that it's you who's at the center of your salvation. It's always God. Delight in grace. Speak of it often. But listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, today's a day of urgency. It's a day of urgency because you're here and you've heard this morning that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm guessing right now that you're sitting in your seat and you know you don't know him. You know that you've never repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And right now, I just want to plead with you because the Lord himself is pleading with you. Put your faith in Christ today. Turn from your sin. Forsake it. Run from it as fast as you can. Look to Jesus. He died on the cross. His death is sufficient to save you from your sins. It's fully sufficient if you will put your faith in him. Everything that is holding you back today from trusting in Christ, forsake it. Turn to him in faith. It's urgent. Listen, 
We don't know. We could walk out those doors and that freezing rain that they were forecasting could have set in and we could be driving home and it could be the last drive that we ever take and we could go to glory to meet Jesus Christ today. It could happen like that. Some days I feel like I could live for a hundred more years and some days I feel like I could wake up and roll over and die. We don't know how long we have. Don't presume on God's grace to give you another day. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The Bible says repeatedly that today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You've heard his voice today. He's been speaking to you today if you're here and you don't know him. Don't harden your heart. Respond. Respond in repentance and faith. That's the only way to be saved. That's the only way to avoid hell and experience glory with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And listen, honestly, that is the only way to have a life that is full of delight aimed at the glory of God where you experience his presence. Don't reject him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word which invites us, which calls us, which warns us, which speaks of Jesus Christ and it speaks of his grace and his mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word that is so clear to tell us what what it is to have faith in him, what it is to repent and forsake our sins and to turn to Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word today, Lord, which is so clear to tell us what it means to treasure grace and to delight in Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in these ways, Lord. Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, would we leave rejoicing in you, delighting in you, Lord, delighting in your grace and speaking of it, God. Oh, Lord, I pray this morning for the one who doesn't know you. Lord, I pray for the person that has come to church maybe several years and has hardened their heart repeatedly, Lord. I pray for the one even this morning who is self-deceived, who is trying to live a good moral life, relying on their own moral effort to stand before a holy God. Lord, I pray that you would break in even in this moment right now, even as this last song is sung. Lord, would you break in? Lord, would you save? Would you redeem? Lord, would you do what only you can do, God? Oh, Lord, I pray that you would let each one of us walk out of this place thinking high and lofty thoughts of Jesus Christ so that he would get all of the glory. Lord, we pray these things in your name. For your name alone, amen.